How y'all doing? I guess no matter what happens in the next few moments, you know you won't see me again until 2027. <laughs> right? That's when I'm on the schedule again. If the same schedule sort of holds true that I'm on right now for preaching for Lyle. Um, in the first service, Lyle said, you know, I was a veteran of sojourn. You know, that's another, there's another word for veteran, right? You know what that means. I've been around forever. Well, I'm going to get on a limb and suppose that there's at least somebody in here who, at some point in their life, felt overwhelmed by something. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know you that well. I've only been here since January. I haven't talked to all of you as, you know, individually. But I'm just going to guess. I'm going to guess that you have felt overwhelmed by any number of things. Could be your, your own sort of sin and the sin you're aware of in your own heart, right? Whether other people know about it or not. Uh, or this, that sort of feeling, that sort of cycle, that feeling of sort of like being on a cycle of failure. Like, I'm, I'm going to get rid of this sin. I'm going to get over it, and then it comes back, and then it's back, and it's just this ending cycle. Uh, or, and then just the guilt, the overwhelming guilt and fear and shame that that brings. Or it could be, it could be that you're overwhelmed just by the world in general, the way things are going in the world, right? Maybe you turn on the news, and you're like, that just really can't get any worse. And maybe you think about it to the point where you start to get angry and you start to imagine things that are going to happen. And even though they haven't happened, you're already mad about it. Right? So you're mad about stuff that happens. And you start thinking about, well, if that happened, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And then maybe now you're angry and you feel overwhelmed by just stuff going on in the world. Maybe you're overwhelmed or put up against it because there's, quite frankly, people that you know that you don't get along with. And you don't know why, and, and, and you struggle with them, and they struggle with you. And you think about them, right? and, they're, and, and they're against you, and you don't, you don't even maybe know why. And again, you can imagine, like, so you're driving down the road, you're thinking about, if that guy says this to me today, here's what I'm going to say. And now you're mad about a conversation that's never even happened yet, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just have this whole scene, and you're actually really angry over something that's really just in your imagination. But, but this is a real issue. And that's what I mean by overwhelmed with. You're consumed by it. Or maybe, maybe you're consumed by just living in the culture we live in, and that is you feel like the draw of it, the, the draw and the ease of just sort of fitting in, right? So like how much, how much can I be a Christian and also sort of go along or blend in or you know, sort of just fade into the background, you know, of the world that I live in, the culture that I live in, wherever you are, right? Or, um, or maybe, maybe the people, you know, maybe you don't get any flack for being a Christian for many because maybe nobody knows you're a Christian. Maybe you're just sort of blending in and you feel that pressure and you don't, it, it's just overwhelming. Or maybe fear. Maybe you're overwhelmed today by fear and it could be fear, whatever you got to be afraid of. I'm not, here to talk about, is that a legitimate fear? You know what? It's fear. Legitimate or illegitimate, it's fear. Either way, it could be over any number of things. A diagnosis, a diagnosis that somebody else you, that you know got, uh, something that's getting ready to happen, 
something, you, something you're afraid of, a person, any, any number of things. Whatever you got that causes you fear could be another thing that's overwhelming you. And you know what you can do? You can take all five of those things and you can put them under one category. And that category is sight. Things you can see. Things that are before you. Even if they're before you in your own imagination. You know what the hardest thing is about living the Christian life? Not buying in and believing in what you see. The hardest thing about the Christian life is living by faith. Because faith looks, as it were, at all those things and says, I'm going to believe and trust in what God has said about me. It's not, I'm going to believe that no matter, you know, I'm going to believe that uh, this is going to work out, like I know exactly what's going to happen, and if I just make the right moves, then God's going to sort of pay me back, and everything's going to be fine, and my life's going to smooth out. That's not faith. That's like, a, that's just a plan. Faith is not the absence of fear. It's not the absence of doubt. It's not the absence of being overwhelmed by anything. Faith is faith in the midst of those things. We sometimes think that we're living by faith if, like, we're serene and calm. No. The place of faith is in the middle of, like, the storm of the world. And every day of your life when you wake up, what faith would say is you have in Jesus God's yes in your life. Regardless of your fears, regardless of your failures, regardless of your guilt, regardless of your shame, regardless of all the things that are stacked up against you that you can see and that lure you away and make you think, maybe God's not on my side. Or even worse, this is the worst of all. You know what the worst of all is? The worst of all is believing all those things biblically and theologically and everything else and thinking all those things are true about others, but not for me. God has excluded me. Yeah, God's good. God's loving. God is... Um, accepting, God saves, but not me, because I have messed up one too many times to prove that there's no way. And you know what you're doing? You're looking at something you can see, yourself. What faith does is takes all that and looks outside itself and says, even if it is barely hanging on by a thread, I believe that God is who he says he is, has done what he said he's done, and will do what he said he's going to do, and I will believe that. Not the voices in my head, and not because I have proof right in front of me, not because if I do, my life is going to ultimately just magically change the next second, not because you think I'm going to believe and then X, Y, and Z is going to happen, but because you believe what God says, not what sight says whatever that sight might be. Our text today is really about the difference between faith and sight, and I sort of call it seeing is not believing. And this is a text we're probably all sort of familiar with, um, but I'm going to just sort of tell the story. We, we heard a little bit of it before, uh, but not all of it, so let me set the scene. Chapter 3 is probably not like the next day after chapter 2. There's no reason to think like you turn to chapter 3 and it's like, and then on the next day, these three guys showed up. And then on the next day, voila, there's a statue or whatever. So if you're thinking, hey, where's Daniel? 
Well, here, I got an answer for you. You don't know. And neither do I. Where is Daniel? I don't know. He's not in the story. Because it's probably not just the next day. And the other thing is, if it was important for us to know where Daniel is, we would know where Daniel is. I guess he's away. But the story's not about Daniel. It's about these three guys and their confrontation with virtually the entire world. Everything is stacked up against them. They are, on the, they are potentially overwhelmed by everything that they can see. That's what's happening. Faith versus sight. So let me just tell the story a little bit. So, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful king in the world, he builds a 90-foot statue, and I had a slide. Actually, I was looking at some, I was going to put a slide up of it, but, you know, they're all, like, obviously not pictures. And I just couldn't find one that wasn't so ridiculous that it would just be distracting for the rest of the night, the rest of the morning. So I skipped it and just thought, you know what, this ceiling is maybe 90 foot tall. Look up there. <laughs> Most of you did, but some of you are too obstinate. You know, I'm not looking up, right? So <laughs> you tell me to look up, I'm not looking up. It's like when you ask people, hey, raise your hand. You're like, no. Raise your hand if you believe, no, right? But it's, let's pretend that's 90 feet. I mean, that's high, right? It's high in 2019. It's really high. In, you know, it's like, not like every day in Babylon. You're like, well, oh, there's a 90-foot statue. Oh, there's a 2,000. It's not like Petronas Tower or something to stand around. This is a 90-foot statue out in the wilderness made of, like, sort of covered with gold. And Nebuchadnezzar builds it, and he calls like a who's who of Babylon. You name it, they're there. That's why they have these big lists, if you've, not, if you've read it and you heard Lau reading it, there's like a list of the instruments like seven or eight times in the chapter. Not really. There's a list of all the people. It's just to underscore the fact everybody is there. There is nobody not here. And so he's got all the powerful people. There's religious leaders. There's local leaders, government leaders, managers, you name it. Um, and then he brings them all together in chapter, verse 3 is great. It says, and they stood there. <laughs> yeah, what, I mean, what else do you do? You bring, like, yeah, okay, there it is. I see it. And I'm sure like half the people, most of the people are looking at Nebuchadnezzar like, man, you're awesome. We're awesome. This is awesome. Everything's awesome. I'm sure there's a couple of people who are a little more cynical and they're like, you know, that money could have been used for something else, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, come on. I mean, there's no speed bumps in my... We got wagons going down the street at easy 12 miles an hour, right? No speed bumps, stop signs out, stop lights out, everything else. And then Nebuchadnezzar always says, what's that? Like, oh, no, nothing. It's great. We love it. But, there's a core of, but, but it doesn't matter what you think of it that day because if you don't go along, you have one option, and that is a huge furnace that is hot enough to, like, melt the sun. That's your two options, and everybody's there, and it is impossible to say no. Now, if you know this story, you might think, no, it isn't. Those guys don't say no, but put yourself in the story just for a moment. Imagine being there. Don't imagine being there, like, heroically being there. Like, don't imagine, like, a this self of yours that if you were there, you'd be like, I'm not going in. I'll put wood on the fire if you want. No way. So there's that you, right? But now imagine the actual you standing there 
and you've got all these things and a furnace that you can feel the heat. I mean, it's a huge furnace, right? It's big enough to put people in. It's big. Maybe you would have felt overwhelmed. Maybe it would have crossed your mind that, oh, this is not so great. Right? This is in a tight spot here. And so then Nebuchadnezzar sort of gets a band together, right? So he gets like the Babylonian Elliot to come out. And they get this worship band together, right? They've got all the instruments. I don't know what all they got. Didgeridoo, kazoo, you name it. Whatever you got, they bring it. And he says, okay, when you hear the music, the minute you hear the music, you bow down. Or if not, you got the furnace. And then he says this. And what God is there that's going to stop, this, stop me? It's all about him. And so then what happens is... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have some enemies. And what, now what you get is like the worst case of office politics that's ever happened in the history of the world. So you have these people who I think probably already know them, and they, they're, they're, they're maybe like wise men or sages or something, like, like the guys who couldn't uh, interpret the dream in chapter 2. And they come to Nebuchadnezzar, and they say three things, right? It sort of says that they maybe got some history. So they, so they're confronted, right? They're confronted by Nebuchadnezzar. They're confronted by the whole culture. They're, now they're confronted by these personal enemies, right? It's like at every level. At every level, these guys have the pressure turned up on them. So these, these guys come and say, hey, you know what? These Jews, some of these Jews, and we mean especially these three guys that you put in charge of a bunch of stuff, right? Maybe like city managers or county managers, whatever they were. Guess what? Guess what? They don't pay attention to their telling on them, right? They don't pay attention to you. They don't serve your gods. And they don't worship that statue. Well, you know what that means. So, of course, Nebuchadnezzar, he just, I mean, he loses it. I mean, can you remember what he said? What God will stand against me? Now I've got these three guys trying to, are you kidding? No way he's letting this slide. And so he brings them in. He brings them in and says, this is Daniel 3.15. He goes, he rehearses the whole thing. He's like, are you serious? You guys, you're, you're not bowing down. Are you serious? And he says, okay, now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you? From my power. Well, there it is. This is all about Nebuchadnezzar. And everything is on the line for these guys. There's no way out, right? They have two choices. That's it. Now, you might be confused a little bit because you might think, hey, hold it. Ne last chapter, Nebuchadnezzar was like really happy with Daniel. He's like, hey, Daniel, your God is great. You're great. Everything's great. Give me more of this. And now here he is, like, what God can stand against me? Well, I'm not going to tell you the end of the Nebuchadnezzar story, but I can just say this. That encounter he had with Daniel in chapter 2, it didn't take, right? He, he's not like, he didn't become a believer, and now he's like backsliding or some whatever other term we might say. He's not a backslidden believer here. He's just Nebuchadnezzar who earlier saw some stuff he liked and he could get from it and like what he got from it. He got the answer he wanted. And he was well and good, but then, you know, 
You turn around, and he's still Nebuchadnezzar. He is still the greatest king. Nobody can stand up to him. He's still in it. It's all about him. And he's going to go up and down a few times, and he's got a kind of a weird ending, but you know, you'll want to come back next week for that. So, if you think about it, for these three guys, the five things I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, that's what sort of lined up against them. Number one, as you know, they're in exile. Now, if you're a Jew living in, the, in this time, there's nothing worse than exile. Why? Your temple, gone. Priests, gone. Sacrifices, gone. And then, what about the promises of the land? And then, these guys, they were probably born in Babylon. So, they could even be like, you know, we weren't even part of all that junk down there. Here we are. So they're there, and we know that this nation is there because of their sin. And so they're, they're com everybody completely overwhelmed. So there's their situation, right, that is a result of sin. And they're there. The secondly, the most powerful king in the world, the king before whom nobody can stand, is literally breathing down their necks. He, they are getting ready to be overwhelmed by the authority and power of that nation in ways beyond anything we could even imagine. Right? They're face-to-face -face with, quite honestly, one of, if not the most powerful person on the planet. Again, it's easy to look at that and be like, yeah, I'd have told that guy what he could do with his furnace. Would you? I mean, would I? I wouldn't. I would I would not. I would like to think that I would, and maybe, I mean, hopefully I, I pray that if I was in that situation, but I've seen myself in less difficult situations cave in. Have you, you know, I mean, it takes less than a furnace for me to be like, oh, hold it, hold it. We're really what I signed up for. And so they've got the king, they've got these enemies, they've got a 90 foot statue there. I mean, that's overwhelming. That's attractive, right? I mean, it's awesome. No, I mean, I don't, I know it's an idol, so don't get me, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, hey, you know, there's a good part about idols. I'm not. I'm just saying, if you're sort of interested in virtually anything, a 90-foot statue, yeah, it gets your attention. Right? And you're like, yeah, what? I mean, I mean it is kind of cool. I mean, I don't believe in it or anything, but, I mean, it is pretty awesome. And, you know, well, everybody else is doing it. Right? I mean, really, quite honestly, everybody else is doing it. And then, you know, of course, there's the furnace. I mean, what do you do with that? It's not something you just look at and be like, you kidding? Back home, my dad had a furnace twice as high. We jumped in that thing every day. <laughs> I grew up in a furnace hotter than that. Care about your furnace? No. We only say things like that in, like, the deepest parts of our imagination that we even know aren't true. Now, again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying or questioning whether, you know, push came to shove. I'm, all I'm trying to do by exaggerating all this is to say this situation is not sort of as cut and dry and as easy, you know, as you please as it might seem if you think about being there. What they do and how they respond is not easy. 
it is only, we can only imagine it as easy. And, and is it, are they confident? Yeah, but it's confidence in the face of what? It's not confidence in the face of like, bring it on, man. Sure, do your worst. It's confidence in the face of quite literally the entire world, including their history, standing against them. That's what it is. And so, when you're in a situation like that, I think you have sort of four responses. Is there, and the reason I think that is because I came up with four. There's not like an official four, I just came up with four. I think there's four responses. There's the reasoned response, and that is, hmm, well, I mean, we could maybe just sort of cross our fingers, right? Like, wink, you know, when you bow down. Or, you know, if we're dead, we can't really witness. If we really want to witness and, like, live out our faith with these people, it'd be better if we stayed alive. So maybe we could just sort of cave in now because we're not really caving in. We're not really not standing up because our plan is, is we want to reach these people. And, you know, if we... If we do this now, I mean, we're not going to be able to reach them. I mean, you, could, you could even make it religious. You could come up, you could come up with a religious reason. Um, another, thing, another thing is the blend in. You could be like, yeah, this isn't good, but you know what? The furnace is worse. I'm just going to go along. And this is the most common thing and the most sort of, this is the most common thing I think that, you know, we would face. And that is just the slow grind of blending in because it's easier. Or maybe sort of living your, your life thinking, okay, how much can I sort of blend in but still be kind of a Christian? And, and how much can I still go, how much can I just go along and maybe over, you know, just sort of, and it's just easier if you're at school. You know, if you're at school and, you, and you're a Christian and all your friends are not Christians, I'm not saying that, you know, you have to just hand out tracts left and right, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's hard not to just blend in because it's safer right? It's hard. It's hard at work. If you're the only believer and all your friends are talking about other things they're doing, it's hard not to just blend in because it's safer, right? So you can just sort of blend in. And then there's the I quit. And that is, they, they, they could look at this thing and be like, yeah, I know what God said. I know all that stuff he said to our fathers. I know all those promises about the future, but you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of the pressure. I'm sick of every day being faced with all this, these idols. I'm sick of how this is going. I'm sick of the fact that life has gotten worse, exile, and now it keeps getting worse, more exile. Now it's got even worse than that. Now I've got to worship another God in exile. You know what? Maybe all that stuff about God is true, but you know what? I quit. I've had it. This is ridiculous. I'll just take my chances with this idol and you know what? And I really don't even care. Now, that's a possible answer. And that's, that's an answer, I think if we were all super honest, that's an answer that's crossed all of our minds at some point. Right? It has mine. It ha I mean, I'm not hopefully living like that every day. But there has been times where I think, yeah, oh, that's true, but you know what? I'm 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 done. And I even know the consequences. And then there's the response of faith. Now notice, though, 
the response of faith is not, we're going to believe, and then God's going to do X, Y, and Z, and this is going to work out perfectly, like, I'll see in an hour. Right? Think back when Paul says, um, think back, think forward. When Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, that is not a statement of like, not, that's a statement of faith. You know by faith. It's not you know because God drops down like a celestial ways app and like here you are, take this route, you can choose whatever, you know, accent you want. You choose, the, you go to this route, this route, but I'm going to tell you exactly where you are, where to go, when to turn, and it's all, you're going to get to your destination that's not the kind of knowledge Paul's talking about in Romans 8.28. It's the knowledge of faith that knows even if everything is lined up against you, height, depth, angels, principalities, things in the past, things to come, stuff he talks about just a few verses later, that those will not separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because it's the knowledge of faith in the face of all kinds of stuff that would say to you, are you kidding me? No way. Or, I'm done. And so what they do when they respond, remember, when they respond, they say to Nebuchadnezzar, they don't, well, let me say this, they don't say, yeah, <laughs> I see you, Robin. Okay. What do they say? First of all, they say, if our God exists. Now, real quick, they're not saying, well, you know, if our God exists, then he'll do it. One time, I'll just give you a story to, to, to show you what this means. One time, uh, we had a cabin in the mountains when I was growing up, and I single-handedly brought the plumbing system of that cabin to a standstill, right? Uh, because I didn't follow my dad's directions about what to do with pipes in the winter, and the pipes were bursting left and right, and I was up there with my friends. So we're essentially stranded. I can't just let the place freeze or flood or whatever. Um, but I can't fix it, and so I have one option. We, get, we have to drive a really long way. There's no cell service. I'm not commenting on whether there were even cell phones, but whether there were cell phones or not in those days, there was definitely no cell service. And so we, we have to drive to a phone, and I call my dad, like, do you think your dad will come? And I said, I'm not, I'm not making this up, I said, if I know my dad, he'll be here before breakfast. Now, none of my friends are like, you're not sure if you know your dad? Right? What did it mean, right? When I said, if I know my dad, it wasn't like, I mean, if this guy that I've always thought is my dad actually turns out to be my dad, then, uh, you know, then it's going to work out. No, of course, what they understood me saying was, my dad will be here because I know him. And sure enough, he was. That's kind of what they're saying. When they say, if our God exists, they're not like, you know, I mean, hopefully, they're saying, if our God exists, and he does, and how do you know, how do I know they're saying it that way? Because what they say next, they'll say, he's able to rescue us, that's what they say, and then they say, then they say this, this, here's faith, this, verse 18 is the verse you need to remember. I mean, you remember all of it, but verse 18, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego replied, King, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God we serve exists, he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But, here it comes. Right? You should, uh, 
This is the, like, if you, if you walk away from the building today with one thing you remember, remember verse 18. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. So they don't say, faith doesn't say, I'm going to believe because I know exactly what God's going to do next. Faith says, I'm going to believe because of who God is, what he said he has done for me, what he promises for the future, so I can live today. Not because I know if I believe, because this, is, this story is not about they believed and then God paid them back, like a boss, right? Like, like, I mean an actual boss, like an employer, not like a boss, I mean, like an employer. <laughs> I heard that as soon as it came out of my mouth. But it's not like God's their employer, and they're like, hey, and he's like, hey you get a good, you get a, you. there's actual words behind all that, I promise you. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to, here they come. I hope. So it's not as though God is their employer and says, hey, you put in a good day's work of believing today, here's your money, here's your, here's your uh, result. No. It's not about if you just believe or believe enough, then God will do X, Y, and Z, and you'll see it right at the moment. They say, whether God rescues us or not is not the point here. The point is who God is and what he says, not who you are, Nebuchadnezzar, not what that thing is, the 90-foot statue, not what they're saying about me, not the fact that I'm here because of, a, that we're all here because of our sin and guilt, none of that. It's in the face of all that, I'm going to believe no matter what happens. Now, the other thing is, they're not agitated. Their tone is not like agitated. They're not just standing up to the man. I, I personally think, just based on their answer, that their answer is just calm. They're not being belligerent. They're confident, but not belligerent. And I think they're not sort of daring Nebuchadnezzar to do something. They're not like taking on the government. They're not like countercultural movement. They are believers in God who says what? No matter what happens, you don't understand Nebuchadnezzar, no matter what happens, I'm, I'm going to believe in what God has said. And then you know what happens. They, Nebuchadnezzar throws them in, and he's looking in, and he says, whoa, hold, hold on, you put him in there, right? Now before that, to underscore how hot this furnace is, Daniel adds a little comment that the people who were going to throw them in, those guys just like blew up, like spontaneously just into flames. They're not even in the furnace. Now, why do they add that, why do they add that little detail? Why does Daniel add that detail? Well, because one, it happened, and two, it really underscores what? This is hopeless. That's what it underscores, right? On a purely human level, on a purely human level, anybody looks at this and be like, yeah, there's, there, there's no getting out of this. It's not like they're going to go in there and maybe sort of jump around the coals and somehow miss the hottest part of the oven. Or, I mean, it was like, like if you've got one of these old ovens, like you've got a cool part, hot part. No. All you've got to do is get close to this thing and pushed. You're done. It is, you're finished. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he looks in there after they put him in, and he's like, hey, hold it. Didn't, you put them in there, right? And, Nebuchadnezzar, and then he looks and Nebuchadnezzar says, hold it now. There's, now there's four people in there. 
And one of them looks like a, a son of the gods. I don't think, by the way, that Nebuchadnezzar is making like a big biblical, that's the son of God. I don't, don't take it that way. But he sees a fourth person, and then finally he says, all right, what, get, bring him out of here. Get him out here. And then, just as all that, you know, that story about how hot it is and people blowing up ahead of time and all that, now they come out, and what is underscored, what is highlighted when they come out? Not only did they survive, it is like they never even went in. They don't come out like smoldering, right? Like, well, we got something going there. It's, oh, still on fire. And it even says they don't even smell like fire. If you've ever been close to like a barbecue or a campfire or something, all you got to do is get near it. And you go away and you're like, well, oh, it stink. Right? It's in your hair. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> whatever you got, that it, whatever you got on you that, that smell will cling to, right? Even your skin, it's there. And, they, and that's, they, people notice, like, and it's, hard, it's sort of weird, too, to think about it. Yeah, they're, like everybody's like, they're alive. And they're like, they don't even stink. You know, you know what? You know what? This, all the detail? Because on a human level, that's an impossible, that's an impossible result. You don't throw people in a fire and then they come out and they don't even stink. And that's what's happening. And Nebuchadnezzar has sort of a, his next change of mind. And he says to them, he says to everybody, everybody who's there, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I won't read the whole thing. We, we heard it earlier. They violated the king's command, risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore, I issue a decree. And then he, he lists all the people. Earlier, he said, hey, bring in everybody, every language. I don't care who you are, whatever language you speak, whoever your parents were. I don't care who you are. You come and worship this, this statue. Now he says, I don't care who you are. I don't care who your parents were. I don't care what your language is. I don't care what your background is. You will not say a word, or do anything against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a total, complete turnaround. But again, like I said before, it's important, I think, that we don't read this as, wow, they must have really believed really hard, and then they, everything turned around for them. Remember what they said? They weren't believing because they knew if they did that they would go home that evening. And it's the, same, it's the same for us. Believing is not, if I can just get up the oomph to believe enough, then tomorrow I'm going to wake up and all those overwhelming things are going to be gone. All of a sudden, I'm going to not ever feel guilt or shame again. All of a sudden, I'm not going to be pressured. All of a sudden, it's going to be easy when I go back to work or school tomorrow and I'm sort of lured away. Or the next time I'm lured away by some temptation, that you know, you know is the opposite of the direction God wants you to go, and you know you fall into it feet first all the time. It doesn't mean, believing doesn't mean the next time that happens, you'll be like, you can't touch me. Forget it. I believe, man. My life is got free of problems. I'm never tempted. I never doubt. I'm, when, my, when people make fun of me for being a Christian, I'm like, doesn't bother me. All of a sudden, it's like, I'm not human. It's faith in the midst of all those things that says, no matter how this particular thing turns out, 
I'm going to believe that God is who he says he is, has done what he said he's done, and therefore I can live today. Because that's what faith is. Faith is banking on God's perfect work in the past that then guarantees the future, because if he's been perfect in the past, guarantees the future, and then does what? Translates into being able to live today. By faith, not by sight. Faith that rests in God's yes to you in Jesus. Not faith that God looks at you and be like, let's see what you got. See what, how you do today. If you do well enough, I'll give you a yes. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Right? Mm, mm, ah, she did it again. See how it goes tomorrow. That's not how God operates. God declares that by faith in Jesus, he looks at you, not as somebody who's like, if you believe enough, I'll get you there. He sees you totally surrounded by, engulfed in, clothed in Christ himself. And he says, I'm your father. He doesn't say, I'm your father as long as you, you know, do your part. Sight, though, the things we can see and imagine, the world around us, sin, temptation, all those things would say, are you sure God's everything he says he is? Faith would say, and faith does say, no matter what. Even though there's a big part of me right now that's sort of wishy-washy about how confident I am, I'm going to believe what God says about me even if I feel like it's going to kill me to do it. Even if I feel like I get no relief immediately from doing it. Because you know God's promises for the future. They're not just promises like to, you know, to get you through something at the moment. It is God's promise. When he promised them, I'm going to make you prosper, what we find out what that means is what? I'm going to bring you to a place where I will be your God and you will be my people and we will live before each other face to face every day and you'll live in my presence with the light of Jesus all around you and all those things, everything that's, everything that's sight now will all be gone and everything that's sight then will all be true. And that's what he offers us in Jesus. And so I just want to encourage you today not to be overwhelmed by all the things that are, that are stacked up against you. And then also, don't be shocked tomorrow if you're still surrounded by things that seem like they're going to overwhelm you. But to believe that what God says is true. And to accept over your guilt, over your shame, over your pressure, over your sickness, over your loved ones, over your enemies. Accept the word from God that he looks at you and says, yes. To you in Jesus by faith. And the reason he can do that, God did not abandon Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The reason God can do that, the reason you know he won't abandon you, is because the one in whom you put your faith was abandoned for your sake. On the night he was betrayed, on the night that everybody turned their back on him, Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. 
And when he hung on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was abandoned so that you could live. Not so that you can fix yourself, pledge to do better tomorrow, so that you could live knowing what? God's perfect record in the past that guarantees your future so that you can live today in the face of all kinds of things that overwhelm you. And also on that night that he was betrayed, Jesus took some bread and he broke it. And he said to them, this is my body given for you. It's free. Do this and remember to me. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant. Drink this and do this in remembrance of me. And he offered himself to them by faith. And what we're getting ready to do is we're going to celebrate that gift of faith in Jesus. That Jesus was abandoned so that you could be free. That Jesus was abandoned so that you could believe and not be overwhelmed. Jesus was overwhelmed by everything around him so that we could be free. So I invite you to come today, not because you feel like you're up to it, not because you feel like you did better than you did the week before, and not because you feel like you have no guilt or no shame or no fear or no hypocrisy, but because Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. And so when you're ready, come forward, there'll be servers on both sides and in the middle. Um, There'll be juice or wine according to your conscience. The wine will be in the cup marked with twine. There'll be some uh, sort of a gluten-free option here in the front. If you're not a believer, we would ask that you don't come forward, but we would ask that you would come to us so that we can tell you about this free gift in Jesus that is yours by faith. Let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you will help us to believe, help us not to cave in to all the things that would cause us to doubt you, to all the things that would cause us to think that maybe you're not on our side or that somehow we've just carved ourselves out of the whole picture. Help us, Lord, to come with hands open to receive, knowing that you are a God who gives and who delights in giving and loves to give and gave your only Son for us, in whose name we pray.